Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Woo! Salutations, everybody. I'm Mark Madden, the super genius. It's time to style and profile, and there's only one man to do that with. He is the 16-time world champion. He's the nature boy, Ric Flair. Nature, how are we this fine morning? Fantastic. Great weekend of pro football. Great weekend of boating. Had lunch with the Gronkowski family Saturday. Met with my agent yesterday which required a one o'clock start time at the bar. And uh, as, as uh, I think as, as uh, Aaron Rodgers threw his last touchdown, I got back in the house. <laughs> well, that, that is a pretty good weekend, but uh, we teased something last week that we got to get right to. You talked about some kind of story you had, some kind of dirt on the great Tony Schiavone. Some kind of dirt? <laughs> well, well, cough it up, Nate. Let's hear about Tony's I own, misadventures. I own Giovanni. Have you not? Have you not noticed that between Jim Ross and Tony Giovanni, they talk about me and tell stories about me, literally at least once a month, right? So, Tony, I'm gonna let you off the hook because I love Lois and I love your family. So, I'll just tell you one. That'll probably just be telling on myself, which I always do. <laughs> so, Mark, when I was the Black Scorpion, uh, you know, the deal with Al Perez quit WCW because he didn't want to be the, the Black Scorpion. So we went to St. Louis. It was either going to be me or Barry, the Black Scorpion. And I felt like Barry and Iron were a much better team. They are wrestling Doom with Nancy, uh, and there was a big, big match for all of them. So I went I went and bought a $2,000 studded cape. You've seen pictures of it. Put the mask on, and I had to go underneath the ring 
for five hours. So you can imagine. <laughs> and the minute I came up, everybody knew who I was anyway, right? So after being frustrated, thinking I had a terrible match, realizing that I'd just gone from being Ric Flair so on an all-made-time world champion to the Black Scorpion <laughs> to appease Jim Hurd and the company. Or no, that was Ole's idea. Um, I went back to the Marriott Hotel and I proceeded to be the Black Scorpion. And I was in search of staying all night long. Then I found a volunteer. And I invited the volunteer to my room at the Marriott. And I called Shivani. Shivani, it's the Black Scorpion. Come down to my room now. <laughs> the rest is history. I'll let him tell the rest about his podcast. <laughs> no, but I've had the, the most fun I have with Shivani. When I first met Tony, I would say he was calling balls and strikes for us for the single-A Charlotte O's. And I said to Jimmy Crockett, I said, get out there calling balls and strikes. Should be working for you because these guys, the announcers they had there were, were so old, as I am as old now, you know, not talking bad about anybody, but they just needed young, fresher people that were more, you know, I think more people that more, uh, had more appeal for the audience. So that's how Tony got his gig there. So then, um, I helped Tony get to New York, and then I helped Tony get back. So I've been a big part of Tony's life. Uh, and nobody I, and does I, it. And, and I have taken Tony under my arm a few places, you know, and just had and just had a great time. That's all I can well, say. Well, nobody's Lois, better. I love you, Lois. <laughs> well, nobody's better than Tony, and he's certainly having a great uh, run now in AEW. Oh, and uh, hey, the guy is so damn good. He doesn't get nearly enough credit. Tony Schiavone is really good at what he does. Well, and you talked about the mix back in Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. Bob Cottle was, I believe, the primary announcer back then. Tom and I Miller. think uh, Tom well, Miller. Bob was in Bob was in Raleigh. Oh, okay. Okay. But I thought the team of Tony and Bob, I thought uh Tony gave Bob Excellent. a little bit of a second second life, a, a second oh, uh, breath. Yeah, oh, Bob Cottle was fantastic. But I just think you know, like not like everything in sports now. I think that I have to keep pushing. I mean, as well as talent, you got to keep pushing younger guys into these announced positions. I mean, I look at Romo, and Romo to this day was a great football player. I don't know if he'll ever be in the Hall of Fame, but he's 10 times the announcer he was a football player. Tony Romo to me right now is the guy. I agree. He, he, and Mark, you see a lot of football. Tony Romo. From the day he walked behind that mic, he, he took on a whole new stance. Well, and, and being a good player is no guarantee you're going to be a good announcer either. Exactly. For example, Ray Bork, who's one of the top defensemen of all time in hockey, he became an analyst for ESPN. Mm -hmm. This is years and years ago, and they literally had to let him go after a week. He was that really? bad. Yeah. So uh, so it, it, it fits some better than others, but you're right about Tony Romo, and certainly Tony Schiavone is, uh, to my mind, the three best announcers ever in wrestling history – are in no particular order, Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, and Lance Russell. And I think whoever's fourth is a relatively distant fourth. I would, I would agree. I would agree. I'd say I'm fourth. What do you think? Uh, um, 
Well, you, if you'd done it longer, you would be number one. <laughs> That's nice of you to say, but I think yeah, we, but we... It, it, see, at some point in time, as, a, as an announcer, you have to be a baby face. And you, you are incapable of being nice. Oh, time. still am, still am. That's in my radio. <laughs> I, I got to tell you though, and uh, and uh, people are going to give me a hard time for this, but I watched the guys doing color today. Yeah, and I'd be better than all but a couple of them, no question about that. All these years later, with what I've learned about announcing, and for that matter about wrestling, I'd be better than all but a couple of them. And, and one thing I would know too is that you don't have four and five people on mic. That's one thing yeah. about AEW that frustrates me a great deal. Their announce team is often four or five guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. all that happens then is you try to get your shit in. I'm sorry, no matter who you are, you're human. You're going to try to get your voice heard above the others instead of painting a picture. And when you have that many guys on mic too, Nate, you can never use silence as a dramatic device because there's never any silence. Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. Well, I've given my soliloquy. Let's move on because we got a lot of interesting topics to cover on today's show. Uh, Jeff Hardy uh, exited a match at a house show rather abruptly for WWE. He went through the crowd, and uh, WWE apparently wanted to send him to rehab, and he refused. So now he's been released. Uh, Jeff Hardy is one of my favorite performers of his era and one of my favorite people of all time. I consider Jeff a fan and a friend, so no doubt I'm rooting for him. in this predicament and hopefully he finds his way back more, more personally than professionally, because I think he has enough money uh, to live the rest of his life. And certainly his reputation can never be solid. He's one of the best performers, like I said, of his generation. Well, you know how I feel. I couldn't agree more. I love, I love uh, Jeff. I love his wife, Beth, and they're, they're above all else. They get a, a great relationship. Beth backs his play all the time. I've talked to them both. And I think, uh, without uh, saying something that's um, it, that's not accurate, I think Jeff just decided to say to them, "Hey, um, you know, I've been there and done that. I went one time, I w- and they told me I had to go back again. I said no. You know, they <laughs> they wanted me to stay thirty five more days." And, you know, and really, at first, it faked me out because I <laughs> get you wake up and you're on an unair conditioned La Quinta, right? And <laughs> instead of drinking 20 drinks a day, I dip two cans of skull, smoke two packs of Marlboros, and uh, drank 20 Diet Cokes. So what's the difference? Um, never went to the gym one day. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I was supposed to be the role model, right? I don't think so. It took me two days to fake them out because you know, the people, the, the, the majority of the people, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, it didn't work for me, that, that are the counselors in these facilities are former addicts themselves. So while they're talking to you and trying to help you get a better understanding of what your issues are, they're recovering themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that gives them a good perspective, though, don't you? Yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, but it, it, at the end of the day, it's just a work. It's a work. Oh, I don't know about that, Nate. Yeah, it's a work. I, I mean, I, what? I, for me, from my experience, it was, it, it was, because what? I I've seen the guys, um, but I've seen people that I was working with that were helping me break down on the job. So why not? I'll give you an example. I woke up in the morning, right? First of all, I'm. Do you want to hear the story? Yeah, go ahead. 
Okay, so I get out of a plane at the airport. I'm driving back up to Wendy's house, right? 35 miles away with Wendy. And, and Hunter calls Wendy. He goes, put me, put me on the phone with Nate. So I go, okay. I said, what's up? He said, uh, you're going to rehab. I said, oh, no, I'm not. He said, oh, yeah. And I said to him, who do you think you're talking to? X-Pac? He said, no, I'm talking to you. You're going to rehab. I said, well, let me get my gear together. I'll go next week. He said, you're going today. So <laughs> I get, I don't know, I'm unaware of all this. I get to Wendy's house and my whole family is there. Ashley, Megan, David, Joe Gomez, everybody that loves me. They were having a- uh, Intervention. Intervention. And, and, and I didn't fight it. I said, okay, I'll go, you know, gonna, so I, uh, got a six pack of beer while I went to the airport. I got there three hours early. I went in the club there and I drank 14 double, double, uh, kettle one in cranberry. Got in a plane, drank four Bloody Marys. I said, if I'm going in, I'm going in. Got off the plane, got a six pack, checked in at two o'clock and they gave me all the drug tests, right? I didn't even blow a number. <laughs> Emma, and I called Hunter my, and my, uh, my blood pressure was 120 over 78. <laughs> the guy, the guy goes, there's something wrong with you. I said, I've been hearing that for years, young man. <laughs> but not, then not, I woke up in the morning and not realized that I was in an unair conditioned La Quinta. So <laughs> I walk out in the steps, I light up a Marlboro, and I look across the terrace, the patio, and the guy that was, the doctor that was checking me in was sitting outside a room across from mine. So I go get my roommate and say, is that the doctor? Who's that guy? And he, I said, he looks like a doctor checked me in last night. He said, he is a doctor. I said, what's he doing here? He said, he's in rehab. <laughs> well, now hold it. If you were in a La Quinta, how, there, were you unsupervised? I mean, how, how did they know you weren't indulging? Oh, no, you check in and all this. Trust them. They, they wrote roll call and had you get up in the morning and do all this. <laughs> go to the grocery store. Can walk around like a mark, like nobody knew me, right? Orlando, Florida. I mean, Tampa, Florida. I was humiliated. Well, that that reminds <laughs> me. That reminds me of the story Scott Hall told me when he checked into Hazelden in Minnesota. Yeah. On the drive up there, he got severely impaired, shall we say? Yeah. And and when he checked in, they said, "Oh, Mr. Hall, we can't believe you showed up here in this condition." And he goes, "Well, I figured it would give me a shot at winning Most Improved." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just was ready to go in, but. The, I mean, I had been drinking so much and so heavily for that long period of time that I didn't even blow a number. Well, what do you <laughs> what do you think is in store for Jeff's future? Because uh, anything he wants, any, any anything he wants, I, I think he knows he made a mistake, and I don't even know. I don't know any more than that. But I know Jeff Hardy is such a great talent. He does have the money, as you mentioned. He probably doesn't need to work. But like all of us that want to work um, for different reasons, it's hard to walk away from something. I've known those boys since they were young kids. They came to see me in Fayetteville and Raleigh with their dad. I've known their dad. Matt and Jeff are two of the greatest uh, yeah, greatest guys in my lifetime that I've had just an immense amount of fun with and have a, an immense amount of respect for. So Jeff would do whatever he wants to do. Well, no I mean, question. I'm I'm a fan and friend of the and, Hardys and if, as well. If Tony Khan did, if Tony Khan doesn't hire him, as soon as, and, you know, right away he's already got a job. 
Well, yeah, and I certainly think the Hardy boys as a team have to have one last run left in them, but obviously that should be on on Jeff's schedule, and whenever he feels he's ready to do it, uh, he's got to take care of himself first, and I'm sure he will. <laughs> he will. It, 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 it comes and goes. And here's the deal. <clears throat> I, I'm not defending the WWE here, but you have to remember they're a publicly traded company, and they get looked at and scrutinized at a whole different level than one that's not. So I, I don't think they had a choice but to tell Jeff he, he, he could go. It's not because they don't want Jeff Hardy there, but because there's just some things that being publicly traded allows you to do and not do. Well, here's the party story. At your 70th birthday party, yeah, uh, Jeff made it a point to come to me when he was leaving. He goes, listen, I think you're a great guy. And, and I'm glad we're friends. And, and Jeff's always said stuff like that. Like wrestling's not always been receptive to me in the years since I've been absent. But the Hardy boys, whenever they're in Pittsburgh, both of them, one of them, I always hear from them. And yeah. uh, again, I'm, I'm rooting for Jeff. I think he's just a terrific guy. Now, here's a topic we teased last week, H, and uh, I find it real interesting. We're going to test your memory here. But it's the history of the Nature Boy character. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, way back when, when I saw... Uh, Ric Flair wrestle on Mid-Atlantic TV, holding my UHF antenna at the house on in Pittsburgh so I could watch it on, I, I think it was the Johnstown TV station. I had no idea what Nature Boy meant, and I'm not even sure I know what it means now. That comes from a song, right? I think it's a song that's even older than me. No, actually, I got that from Raquel Welsh in 1978 at the Hilton Hotel at the airport. I hope that's not all you got from her. <laughs> But that's my story, because only a few I mean, what, people are still alive. <laughs> I don't well, what, know where what, it comes what, from. What, 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 I mean, like, I, there is a song called Nature Boy, and I think yes, that's where, where, but, where Buddy Rogers got it. That segues. Buddy Rogers was the original Nature Boy, yes. and you studied his gimmick while you were laid up in your, after your plane crash, correct? Well, no, not, that's, that's not accurate, too. George Scott came to me, who I never get to enough thanks and enough gratitude for me as George Scott was the booker and he knew Buddy real well. And he said, Rick, I think we should try something with you where you could, you know, patting yourself a little bit after Buddy Rogers, you know, um, just polish your work up. And, and, and you know, I, I could never look like Rogers. Rogers had one of these incredible physiques and he could do the, the strut better than any of us ever have thought of doing it. And, and what Buddy's claim to fame is, is that, um, you know, he was the first guy to ever do high spots. I don't know if you ever knew that or not. Buddy I did was not. The first guy, he's the first guy to ever do high spots. Look at one tackle, drop down, leapfrog. That, that, was, that was Buddy Rogers. And, uh, yes, I, did, I, didn't, I never saw footage of him until later on after I became the nature boy. But um, what Buddy did is he traveled with a couple of guys, one of them being Billy Darnell. And Darnell was probably as good a worker, if not better, than Rogers. But he would send these guys into the territory before he went there, wrestle these guys. It would be like me sending in Steamboat to get warmed up to wrestle uh, Sting. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And he, 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 and he had these phenomenal matches with Billy Darnell. There's another kid, too. I can't think of his name. And then, of course... Um, and he had a bodyguard with him, a guy that was pretty tough. Ruffy Silverstein traveled with him, who was a shooter in college. Um, Bobby Davis uh, was his manager, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. I, I never met him, but I mean, I know the Silverstein guy was tough. 
And I know Darnell was a hell of a worker, but that's how he got over it. Not only was he great himself, but he, he put guys in positions to put him over after having a great match as he ascended to the top guy in the territory. I'll give you an example. When I, Buddy told me one night, and you can look it up, I'm sure the wrestling historians will be all over this. He wrestled Carpentier in Montreal, uh, Billy, uh, Whipper Billy Watson in Toronto, Pat O'Connor in Comiskey Park, 54,000 people, 1954. And I want to say he wrestled um, Gene Kaniski or someone like that the first night. He told me he made $49,000 one week in 1954. That's a lot of money now, let alone in, no, in no, 1954. He, 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 got, he got his money. He got his cash when he walked in the door. They were sold out everywhere. He drew a ton of money. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Now, how similar would you say your act was to Buddy's? Once your act evolved and you, would, like you said, had seen footage of him, how similar was it? Well, it's not fair for me to say it. I'll just do what Harley did. Flair took Rogers' stuff to a whole new level. Problem? <laughs> well, no, having seen tapes of Buddy, and not yeah. very many because not a lot exist, I would, I would tend well, to but, agree buddy, buddy, buddy with that. Back in those days when you were cutting a promo, he, I'm going to murder that bum. You know, I mean, that, that, that would never fly today. So I just added, you know, a little flair, a little color, and... Um, but once again, I, I, I wish I could have had his physique. If I had his physique, man, who knows? But um, it, it worked out for me. And I just, where Buddy wore jackets, I went and got the long robes. But, um, you know, the day I met him, I've told you the story. He walked over to me in the locker room in Greensboro, looked at me and said, there's only one dime in this business, kid, and you're looking at him. <laughs> and Hence the promo, diamonds are forever. Now, uh, you ultimately worked with Buddy. He was Twice. 57. He'd yep. just come back after a 15-year layoff. What was that like? Were the matches good? No. Fast and quick. But those guys back then, the only guy that, of that age group that I wrestled towards the end, I wrestled Gene Kineski for an hour a couple times, and I wrestled Pat O'Connor, whose brother was tougher than shit. I mean, Pat wrestling Pat for an hour in St. Louis was a long night because Pat was a tough guy. And, I, and Buddy wasn't a tough guy at all, just a, just a great performer. But they were so quick, and, you know, if you take that many years off the business and come back, you're going to be... And I was so excited, you know, and, and plus the fact I was still relatively green too, Mark, so I wasn't the, the Ric Flair of 1982. I was just a kid, you know, trying to learn the business myself. So they, they were far from great. But I really enjoyed it, and I look back on it now, and I just say... You know, it's a feather my cap to have ever been there. It's kind of like, you know, I got to wrestle Ray Stevens, of, you know, a couple times later when Ray came to the Carolinas. But that was like wrestling 
to me like wrestling God because there'll never be another Ray Stevens, just just so you know. Now, never. did did Buddy like what you did with his gimmick, and did, did you two get along yeah, when you met? Yeah, he, yeah, he was fine with it. Yeah, I actually, I actually went out with Buddy and his wife. He came over to my house. I went to his house with George Scott and his wife. Yeah, I got along with him good. He's just an arrogant guy. But, you know, I, I, who was I to say anything? You know what I mean? I was just lucky enough. But, my God, I'm sitting here with Buddy Rogers. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is, in Charlotte, everybody knew who I was and didn't know who he was. So I don't think he was happy about that. But <laughs> well, that's like uh, that's like when I, the first time I met Ric Flair, I was just thrilled to be sitting across the table from Ric Flair. And and then my liver turned to glass after a couple years. Uh, <laughs> now, uh <laughs> The only other actual nature boy, I think, of any of any repute was Buddy Landell. Yeah. You worked with him and Crockett briefly. How was he as a talent? Great. I met Buddy. I first saw Buddy in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. I was wrestling Carlos Colon. And Buddy was on the undercard there, and he came out, and I talked to him. And he was just Buddy Landell then. And I think uh, Dusty or JJ you know, came up with the idea. But Buddy Landell was a hell of a worker. Yep. He just had demons, as do we all. And the demons, you know, got the best of it. And I don't I don't know why I've dealt with that on a personal level with, you know, with my son. But you, 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 you can't explain it. And I can't tell you why or how, but they just got the better of him. Because he certainly was a talented kid. He could talk. He could work. He, he was a nice guy. I had fun with Buddy. Um... But, um, you know, life was, it, 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 he, he always treated me with respect, I'll say that. And I, 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 don't, I don't know what happened with Buddy, but, you know, he got sidetracked, as, as have a lot of people, you know, with a, with a uh, substance abuse issue. Well, he was managed by J.J. Dillon, yep. and that was before J.J. and the Horsemen. And in a promo, you said J.J. looked like Porter Wagoner, as I recall. Yeah. That, that was certainly, certainly. And look, look at that picture. He does look like Porter Wagoner. Yeah, he does. My, my God. Porter Wagoner had better hair. Well, I think he had more hair. But, uh, but how come you and Landell never had a full-blown feud at Crockett? Because that was the plan, wasn't it? I think because of the issues I just brought up, I think he missed a couple shows. He just just, just no show. He would just drift off, and you wouldn't find him for a couple of days. Then you're gonna to have to fact check that, but that—that's the only reason. I mean, we wrestled probably twenty different times, but um, how, how were the matches? Good, good. You know, it's found he wanted to be the heel. I wanted to be the heel, so it's—it's it's never going to be the best match when you got two guys. Because I wasn't going to change my character. You know, I think there was interest in it, but. Um, as you know, you got to be there every day. You can't be late. Your name's on the marquee, and you're not there, and the people pay all this money. Even in those days, the, cheap, the tickets were a lot cheaper. If you're not there, um, you know, you're, it's a reflection on the promotion, which they're not likely to receive kindly, and uh, it's a reflection on you. So that's the only thing I can tell you is that, and I, like Terry Taylor tells that story about me, pulling into New Orleans, hungover and everything. And that, that's probably true. But after 50 minutes, he, he couldn't breathe. So. <laughs> yeah, but like Arn always says, you're a Martian. Not too many people could pull that off, but uh, I, I think that's unique to the I, Ric Flair. I have, uh, the, I have the gene. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, now I, I liked Buddy. I thought he was a good performer, yes. but he, he, because of many reasons, never took that next step. And it begs the question, how do you imitate Ric Flair? That's a pretty ballsy move, whether it's Buddy or anybody else, but no matter what, you're going to come off as a Xerox. I don't know. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> there are a lot of people who've tried over the years. Look at a lot of gimmicks that are, that, you know, the guys coming out with girls. That's been going on for years, but I was the first. Um, well, put you know, that picture back up, Steve. Was that was that AJ Styles in the Ric Flair robe? I, is that yeah. AJ? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he did that in TNA? I think so, yeah. Wow. But it wasn't, you know, AJ wasn't trying to imitate. AJ, I could never work as good as AJ Styles, trust me. Oh, I don't AJ know about that, Styles. but he's he's brilliant. He's, he's, no, he's uh, phenomenal, yeah. One of the best of his generation, maybe the best. But now, I liked it when Jay Lethal yeah. didn't do the Nature Boy gimmick, per se, but he imitated you in TNA. That was that was pretty funny. Yeah, it was entertaining. He, 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 I'm, I'm thrilled that he's uh, with. I think he's with AEW now. That it, he's finally with a major promotion. Not not saying that Ring of Honor isn't or wasn't, but I think Jay's got a ton of talent and uh, he can talk, which is a big, big part of the show. You know what I mean? No question. I I think Jay's uh, tremendous. I will say this though about his little mini feud with you and TNA, even though it was funny. That's not really a long-term thing, is it? Because once you've seen it, you've seen it. Yeah, plus I was 62 years old, so there wasn't much to see. <laughs> I, th I thought you were in your prime, Nate. Come on. I, I was, but you're the, only, you're the only one I can convince that of. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about Lethal when he imitates Randy Savage? I, I like that, too. Fantastic. Ooh, yeah, dig it. Yeah, he can do really he, – I'll he, tell you – he can do me and Savage better than anybody I've ever heard. It's incredible. But once again, I mean, that's just, that's a tribute to how much time he spent watching TV because he, he's, he has his both down pat. It's, it's a lot, a lot. It's fun to hang out and fun to have him do that. Nate, I, I got to tell you, to put the spotlight on myself for a second, my radio career is based on talking like you. <laughs> no question. There was an old-timey Pittsburgh radio guy named Doug Hurth. It uh -huh. helped me break into radio. I started late. I was in my 30s. And he, my radio persona is a combination of Doug Hurth and Ric Flair. No question about that. And by the way, people complain that I talk too loud on this podcast. That's just the way I talk. I mean, come on. I know. I'm, I'm fully aware of it. <laughs> I, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm forced, just because we're in this business, how to look at the comments on social media, too. They're very entertaining. Um, yeah. They're really complimentary for me, certainly. Yeah, well, I, I guess they're, 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 they seem to be enjoying it. I'm having fun. And we haven't no, shot no, I, anybody yet either. So we're, no, we we're doing shooting? a great <laughs> we're doing a great job. And uh, one last thing about the Jay Lethal uh, imitation. Is TNA in that period a, a bit underrated? A lot of stars were there, and I thought some good stuff happened. Well, there, were, there was a ton of talent there. I, I don't know what kept them or held them back. I mean... I think some of the booking decisions were an issue, but um, they've had some great talent come through there. I mean, great young talent. You know, it's, it's like right now. It's you, you're you're seeing a dry spell right now in the in the uh, in the in, in the developmental stages of, for both companies. It's hard to come up and be on top in this business. I mean, 
you look at the, the group with the Roman and Seth and uh, um, Dean, and then you've got Charlotte, Sasha, and Bailey, and that, and then, that's all, there, there were six, six huge stars right there. Um, or, or, but if you look back into it, how many more have come along? Oh, no question. And how many more are the, coming the, the, along? That, that weren't in the business already. I'm talking about the, to come right out of a developmental program. Have you seen Rick Steiner's kid, Braun Breaker? I have, yeah. He looks great. Yeah, he's amazing, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I talked to Terry together. I hope that they bring him up soon. I've only seen him twice on TV, but Taylor called me the other day to say hi. And I, I guess he's only had 20 matches, but he's an impressive-looking kid, boy. And great physique. And uh, if he's like his dad, he's probably half tough. Oh, he's a little more than half tough, I think. Uh, believe <laughs> me. No, it, it's great his to dad, see him. His, his dad is tough. It's great to see him do well. I liked his dad and uncle and, and enjoyed wrestling, uh, working with those guys. So uh, we'll talk about him more in a later episode of the, of the podcast. But um, so we've had Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, Nature Boy Buddy Landell. We've had the Jay Lethal Limitation. Who else has stolen from you the most, like in, in more subtle ways? But if you see somebody out there that's kind of nicked you and does a lot of your stuff, who would it be? Who was stolen from me the most? You mean like the man? No, no, no. We've, <laughs> we've, we've been through that. I mean, in terms of like maybe some of the spots you do in your look, stuff like that. I don't know anybody. I mean, it's funny because you can learn every day. You know, every match you're in, if you're with somebody or you're watching, which I think is very important if, if you are young in the business or even if you're just on the same card as someone that's good. But I don't see a lot of the guys at all imitating that stuff. I mean, Randy has his own style. AJ does. Roman has his own stuff. Um, obviously, um, Omega I'm surprised, Nate. I'm surprised nobody does the turnbuckle flip or the drunk fall. I'm surprised some yeah. of your trademark stuff hasn't been lifted. Well, some of the kids can do that. I, I just don't think they do. Uh, like, I don't I, I don't think Vince likes it when Ashley does it. Because it reminds her of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, mo moving on. We just had an anniversary. On December 10th, 1972, Ric Flair had his first match, a 10-minute draw with Scrap Iron George Gadaski at yes. Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Do you remember anything at all about that match? Yes. Vern Gagne looked at me and said, go out there and wrestle him for 10 minutes. I said, what, what are we going to do? He said, go out there and show me what you got. I swear to God, that's how, that's how I started. And now, were you heel, babyface? Who called the match? How'd it go down? Oh, I was, I was, I was the heel. George just said, you know, George Gadaski was one of these great guys that, you know, putting on all these hours, driving the ring truck, put the ring up and all that, and then would get a match, and then he'd referee the rest of them. But he, he treated me great. He knew that I absolutely knew nothing, and we just did like a headlock, takeover, arm drag, stuff like that. And really, at the end of 10 minutes, I was blowing sky high. You know, even though I was in got myself on really good but that was after the camp ended so i was in relatively good shape i started at 310 pounds by the time the camp was over i weighed 270 so yeah i couldn't wait to bleach my hair you know you know what's funny a bunny graham billy graham's wife was the first person to bleach my hair it'll, it'll be 50 years 
50 years next September. I got to live that long, Marco. Now, you'll, you'll make it uh, that long and then some. And that segues nicely into our friends and foes segment because the friend is going to be your trainer, the late Vern Gagne. How did you come to train under Vern, Nate? How did you meet him and what were the circumstances? Well, I knew Greg from high school. Uh, Greg went to Wyzetta or Minnetonka High School, I think Wyzetta. And uh, I met Greg, some over on campus and all that when I was in college. I think Greg transferred to Wyoming. Um, and I was there to play football at Minnesota until my, my grade uh, point average didn't appeal to the dean <laughs> or to the coach. But um, then I met Ken Patera, as I told you, at a, at a club called George's in the Park. And I'm going to see Ken this Sunday, this Saturday, actually, at Icons of Wrestling in Philly. And Ken Patera is the reason I'm in the business. He said to Vern, I, I'm living with Rick Flair. He said, Flair, I know that name. He said, yeah, he's apparently a friend of your son, Greg's. He said he wants to be a wrestler, too. So I lived with Ken for two years. He went off. 72 Olympics, an idea, and Vern sponsored him. The idea was that if he came back with a gold medal, he'd be called the world's strongest man. Well, he, you know, uh, six weeks before the games, he had to have uh, orthoscopic knee surgery. So three weeks he couldn't train because everything was with your knees with, that, with Olympic lifting. So with three weeks of training, after being off for three weeks, he still won the bronze medal. Um, but he, he clearly would have won a gold medal had he not been injured. Just a great guy. And, uh, man, he's been through some traumatic, you know, situations in life. That thing with um, Saido and that. And just that, you know, a couple of years in prison as a result of some stupid incident at McDonald's. Um, and then to have, like, he's got both shoulders replaced, both hips replaced, both knees replaced. And his body has taken a toll on him. What people don't realize about Ken, he was also an alternate on the 72 team in track and field. He threw the shot 68 feet at BYU. So if you make it Olympic team in two sports, you're probably a, good, a pretty good athlete. I would say, so by the way, I just glanced at the lineup for Icons of Wrestling. Your old buddy uh, Shane Douglas is going to be there. I think, I think that should be your final match, you and the Dean. Oh, he's working, huh? Yeah. I'll get, I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll say hi. <laughs> we always, we always shake hands and <clears throat> walk, and walk our own way. <clears throat> now, when you started training, were you a wrestling fan per se? Was this something you oh, had yeah, wanted? To, yes. Oh, you, you were always a wrestling fan. Yeah, but I, nothing I ever dreamt that I'd be involved in. Yeah, I loved watching wrestling. Are you kidding me? I dragged but, my dad down there. Dad, come watch, you know, Crusher, the Bruiser, Vern Gagne. Butch Levy, Leo Namalini, Ilio DePaulo, Carpentier, Wilbur Snyder. I mean, the guys that came through Minneapolis were just fabulous. It's, it's a Hall of Fame in itself. And eventually I got to meet all those guys. Mad Dog Bashan, who I became really good friends with. Gagne, if you want the title back, meet me in the ring. Gagne. <laughs> Now, what, what was the main thrust of Vern's training? Conditioning was a huge part of it, obviously. Oh, my God. Insane. We had no idea. I was, I was like in the house saying I was going to be like Dick the Bruiser the Crusher, who I know, not saying they couldn't have at one time, but they certainly couldn't run two miles 
do 500 free squats, 200 push-ups, and 200 crunches. <laughs> it took me six hours. <laughs> I'm betting neither one could have done it, period. But they were later in life. And one time, you know, uh, the bruiser, Dick Affleth, played football for the Packers. He was a good, a good, a good athlete. So that, I don't know what the crush's background is, but Dick Affleth was a good uh, uh, pro football player, or average. Now, we, yeah, we had the crusher in Pittsburgh. He was a rival for Bruno Sammartino sure. when I was a kid. So uh, I have many memories of him uh, as yeah. well. The, the bolo punch. Hey, I'm going to meet you guys. He was talking about, when I started talking about the women, because I heard him talking about the dollies <laughs> at, the, at the saloon in Milwaukee. I'll meet my dollies at the saloon in Milwaukee. <laughs> now, you, you quit at one point, right? You just went home. Twice. I, no, one, 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 I didn't show up. First time he came and got me, slapped me across the face, threw me out in the front yard, told me I quit everything in the world. I wasn't going to quit him. And the second time, I, 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 I was just about, I got through the two miles, and I was just saying to myself, you know, he's not watching. I'm just going to get in my car and go and hide. <laughs> I have to check in a hotel. <laughs> By the ear, so... It was a learning experience, but the whole thing, I'm a, it's something I look back on now. I, I don't know how I did it, but even when I go to train now with Rob, John Cena's guy who I train with regularly, you, you get your I find myself being able to go back and find that inner whatever that was that drove me to do that because I did those 500 squats. There was, there was no such thing as Stairmasters and that when we started, right? Treadmill. Then, of course, all this equipment has come along and all technology has changed. But I did those 500 free squats every day for 20 years until I got a, until they invented the Stairmaster. Now, uh, who did you train I still, with? I still do them now once in a while. Who did you train with besides Vern? Who were the other teachers at, uh, at Vern's facility? Don Morocco, Joe Scarpello, who was a national champion at Iowa. Um, Don Morocco. Jimmy came out for a couple, and Billy Robinson. What was Billy Robinson like? Because he was a legitimately tough guy, a shooter, and he was known for being a bully in a situation like that. He beat us all up. He did. But I didn't think of him being a bully. He just wanted to let us know that he could kick our ass, which he could. Uh, You know know the story about the Sheik. He couldn't, he kept telling the Sheik, the Sheik was a certifiable, great amateur wrestler, freestyle and Greco-Roman. And he'd won it the AU Nationals in the 220-pound weight class at a body weight of 190 pounds um, prior to coming out the training there. And Robinson said, I can turn you over, and he couldn't. You know, when you when you lay in your stomach with freestyle wrestling or Olympic right, wrestling, right. yeah, the idea is to turn you over to score points. Robinson couldn't turn him over, so I told him to get in a referee's position. So he got up in a referee's position, you know, his knees aren't planted, his feet planted, and Robinson dropped the knee into the side of his leg. That um, I mean, I thought it killed him. He, 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 he couldn't get practice for a month. His whole leg swollen up with black and blue. Now, that, that's, uh, that's the Iron Sheik, right? Not Eddie Farhat. No, that's Iron Sheik, Cosro. Yeah, I, right, I, Cosro, I, I, yeah. I see Cosro periodically. See, that's what I mean, though. That's a, that's a dick move by Billy yeah. Robinson, because th- that is being a bully, Nate. That's taking advantage of a defenseless guy. Listen, they used to put us down and... Face arm, I mean, cross face the crap out of us, Mark. It was, 
It was tough to get back into the business back then. The guys, I'm not, I say people couldn't do it now, but I say that in a way that why would they want to? Okay? Because back then, you know, I think I was making $50 a night, you know, driving 3,000 miles. So really, who would want to do that? And who would, who would, who would you, would you say to your, your child, yeah, hey, go be a pro wrestler to go through something like that? Because it, but it, it, it made us all tougher, made us all better. I mean, he would wrestle us into an exhaustion and then put us on our back and put it like a sugar on us where, you know, where we couldn't move our arms. Right. You know, hold it, yeah. And then make you fight to get out of it for two minutes. And you're, and you're, you're wearing a parka because you're 30 degrees or 28 degrees. You can't breathe. You're blowing up and you can't get away. I mean, that's the kind of stuff they do with the guys in, in SEAL training. <laughs> the only thing you didn't do was handcuff us and throw us some water over our head. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, did Thank you God. ever... I wouldn't have come back after that. How often were you in the ring with Vern? Because I don't think you ever had an actual match with Vern, did you? I did, yeah, on TV. Really? I sure did, yeah, yeah. What was that, that like? Yeah, hey, he treated me good. Vern Gagne was tougher than hell, you know. Oh, yeah, legitimate a, NCAA champion, all yeah, that stuff. Absolutely, yeah, an Olympic alternate. Yeah, he was tougher than shit. Vern, Vern, Vern punched out. I can remember, I guess, that Bill Watts gave him some shit at the end of it, NWA convention one time. And, and uh, Vern let him have it right there in the fucking lobby of the hotel. And Vern well, not, was nobody. He, he pulled Don Eagle, this wrestler named Don Eagle out, who did something smart with the ring. He pulled him out from the bottom of a car in downtown Minneapolis. He was hiding under a car to get away from Vern and beat the <laughs> crap out of him on Hennepin Avenue. Oh, yeah. Vern was tougher than shit. Now, did Vern stress amateur style wrestling? I mean, what, what, what did he want from the guys he trained? Well, you like the amateur stuff, but you know what's funny, and he he probably he he loved it, didn't love it then, but he said, "So, what if you learned you liked it most?" So, me, I was I was so in fascinated with Dusty and Dick Murdoch, who were both there at the time, right? And I, I fell in love with those guys, Dusty especially, but Murdoch and I were very close, and Murdoch. Ladies and gentlemen, was one of the greatest workers I've ever known. Yep, for sure so he was. He, he, Dick Murdoch will always be in the top ten. But he said, "What have you learned?" And I'll go. I learned all this stuff, and I went about. I did the elbow <laughs> drop from Dusty. <laughs> he said, "Get out of here!" <laughs> After all this, that's your favorite move. <laughs> I think you wanted to slap me right there. Now your name, Ric Flair, back, correct? What's that? Your name, your ring name was Ric yeah. Flair right off the bat, right? Yeah. I wanted to change it. He said, what, he said Ric Flair is a cool name. I said, it is? I said, I want to be Rambling Ricky Rhodes. He said, no way. <laughs> I wanted to be Dusty's brother. Now, it was originally hey, R.I.C. I'll tell you what's funny. So about a year ago, I was at a, uh, no, pre-COVID, maybe two years ago, I was with Terry Bradshaw at a signing and Terry Bradshaw, Rick Flair, he said, you got the coolest name in sports, Rick Flair. I like that. So then I thought back to Vern, you know, because he, he was, he said, yeah, just felt differently. Go with Rick Flair. And that, that's how we left it. It was originally R I C K Flair. What made you decide to drop the K? Because it, that's a big, that became very distinctive. It, it looked cooler. Co oh. Cosmetic. 
cosmetically it looked cooler. How long did your training take? How long did you actually train with Vern before you were quote unquote a professional wrestler? Either 60 or 80 days. That's not that long. No. It but probably seemed a lot longer. Five days a week, it was, yeah. Especially, when we, uh, it, it, we, it was not inside a bar. It was, you know, in November, it's 20 degrees in Minneapolis. It's 29 right now, as a matter of fact. So you're training in a, in a barn, and you learn how to take a back, backdrop by jumping off the second floor of a hayloft into a hayloft. I mean, it's just a different way of learning. <laughs> I'll worked. say. Now, uh, were you good right but, away? Because you went to Japan no, within a year, no. which isn't easy. I mean, but no, I went but, to Japan right. I went to Japan before I went. Before I think I, I, my first trip was Japan. Boy, those guys they just tortured me, man. They made me carry their bags, Murdoch and Rhodes, Skander Akbar, Nelson Royal. I mean, I used to go to Nelson Royal's room at night crying. Say, God, I can't take any more Nelson. <laughs> um, Dusty Rhodes and Murdoch came. We were on the fourth floor of my room, came in a room, took a fire extinguisher, loaded me up, sprayed me, and took all my clothes, threw them out of the four-story window onto the street. <laughs> we're at rookie training camp. That's where Murdoch, we were at the airport, right? And everybody was eating French fries and crap, and that's where... Uh, I I don't know what made me think I could do it. Everybody was like eating like French. I reached over and took, grabbed one of Murdoch's French fries. He took a fork and stabbed it all the way through my hand. I got this car right here to this day. Rookie mistake. <laughs> Rookie mistake. Now, what was so, it like? What was oh, yeah. it like work, working Vern's terror? I mean, it was a territory based around Vern, but he didn't necessarily wrestle every every show, did he? No, but he was there. He came to them all. We it, it started. We were, we're as far north as Toronto, as I'm sorry, as uh, Winnipeg, which was 500 miles each way from Minneapolis, and then we'd go down as far as Springfield, Illinois, which was uh, 400 each way, and do that in the same day. You know what I mean? Or down to Moline, Illinois, and then Chicago, Milwaukee. No, the longest shot was Denver, but I only got to do maybe maybe 10 Denver shows. How long were you that, in the AWA? That, 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 that's, where, that's where I wrestled Pedro Morales in Denver. Now, how long but were that, you in the AWA before you moved to Crockett? One year. And yeah. how was that arranged? Did they arrange that for you? How'd that come about? No, uh, Wahoo McDaniels was in Minneapolis. He left, went down there because his friend George Scott was booking. And the Crockett territory had been a tag team territory. They hired George Scott and George Scott wanted to make it a singles territory. So Wahoo and I had become very close. Wahoo called me and said, hey, you want to come down here? They'll give you a chance to come down. I said, hell yeah. I said, I said, where is it? He said, Charlotte, North Carolina. I'd never heard of it. I, I had to know where Raleigh was because I had to learn the capitals to get out of high school. But that'd be the only reason I knew where Raleigh was. But I flew in and um, they picked me up, took me over to a place called the Orban Court. $9 a night, and then somebody picked me up and took me to the arena, and I wrestled Abe Jacobs that first night, and I was off and running, and I, it was something I'll always respect the Crockett for. I only had $400 when I left home, because I was married to Leslie, Megan was just born, and um, 
I left them with, you know, like a thousand dollars, you know, who knows? I've never been really good with money, but I had four hundred. I tried to borrow four hundred from my dad. He said, "I'm absolutely not investing in something stupid like this wrestling." And I said to Vern, "He said, Vern, Vern, Vern said, nope, gonna make it on your own, kid. This is when you start learning the ropes." So I went down there with four hundred dollars, and after a week, I went to Jim Crockett and said, um, "You know, I'm sorry about it, Mr. Crockett, but I, I don't, I just don't have any money." He said, "What do you need?" I said, I don't know, God. He said, he said what, what about $2,500? I said, $2,500? I, I must have said it to myself, then that you're going to give me $2,500? He said, yeah, here. Get your wife and family down here. So that was it. <laughs> now, is Vern one of the true all-time greats? Where's he rank among the wrestling legends, Nate? Oh, God. He's got to be up there. Different style. You know what I'm saying? It's hard. I mean, he certainly was great for his time, but he, of his time and his era, he he was in the top five. He was with he was with Rogers, O'Connor, um, Billy Darnell, Wilbur Snyder, you know, Carpentier, different style. You know, but you know, Vern used a lot of amateur wrestling in his uh, style, but. His drop kick and flying head scissors and stuff. Oh, oh, I'll tell you who else was great in that time frame was Red Bastine. Red Bastine was very helpful to me too, and a, and a great work, a great worker. Now let's talk about one of your foes, who was also a friend at one point in your career. He is the total package, Lex Luger. Uh, Nate, you made a lot of wrestlers in your career. I think Lex Luger is one of those. You made Lex first by association, and and then in your matches, I thought he was very much connected to you. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to, um, I think he's there this weekend too. I'm looking, as is Ken Patera. So sometimes I, I, I do these shows just because it's fun to see Kevin Nash will be there, Sting will be there. But uh, yeah, Lex, is just, I've got nothing but good things to say about him. He's been through a world of shit, but, but he's held his head high. And um, I think the company has him on a, um, I don't know what they call those deals. Um, where he's like a, like an ambassador for the WWE. A le- huh? A Legends deal? A Legends contract, yeah, which he deserves. He worked hard at a time when the business was tough. He put his time in, he worked hard, and he was put in a tough position. You know, it got heat with other guys because I would take all these press slams and stuff from him, and he wasn't, but he couldn't do a lot of other stuff because like Goldberg in a different way didn't have the opportunity to learn because he looked so good. They go, shit, you're going to be in the main event next week. Remember I told you I had to wrestle him for an hour in Daytona and he had never wrestled more than two minutes. Right? So I wanted to kill Bob Roop and uh, Hiro Matsuda who booked the match, but we made it. Um, but, um, you know, I, I just I feel terrible what happened to him um, with his health and all this stuff with Liz and that. But I really like Luger. I have a lot of time for him. And uh, <clears throat> they're doing a documentary on him. I just got to speak on it. I've, you know, to, to come back from all that, I think he's a really a, a remarkable human being. And I'm glad to see that he's in a good place, which he is. Well, 
Well, you kind of touched on this, but when Lex first came to Crockett, how green was he? Because he'd green. been wrestling a couple of years in Florida where you, mm-hmm. like you said, had that long match, but, uh, but, but he had barely wrestled and his matches were kept short, which was advisable. But as you mentioned, it didn't help him learn. Um, ask me that one more time. How green was he when he came to Crockett? Green. But when you when you have to use that 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 measuring stick in terms of he, you're, if you're putting with me, Tully, Arn, and JJ, you're going to be green. I mean, you know, like everybody's green at some point or another. But to come in and expect to perform at that level, so you know, we all helped him because we all liked him, and, he, and you know, he was like he was like this little kid. He didn't drink or anything, you know. And of course, he, he was. Just an incredibly handsome guy. I had I had a ball with him. I used to take him out and have him take off his shirt in the bars. And <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about just, that nature hey, because hey, just like just like I did with Batista. Hey, if I could if I could get Batista in a bar at night in the old days with Evolution, because Randy and Hunter would never go out. I'd have Dave's shirt off in Fargo, North Dakota, and thirty below zero weather. <laughs> Every chicken Fargo was there. <laughs> Now, now, speaking of that, Luger's body was incomparable, wasn't it? Oh I my mean, God. It, it would be a top body today, any generation, really. Absolutely. Now, he, uh, go he's ahead. the first guy to taught me anything about nutrition. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Uh, Lex went right into the mix of the four horsemen, first as an associate and then as a full member. Was yeah. that too much too soon? No, it worked, but it, it was a lot of pressure on him when they put him in singles matches with me for the world title. As, as long as he was me and Tully and Iron, all he had to do was flex and slam a guy and suplex somebody, and he, he wasn't afraid to, to to feed in on and stuff like that and take comebacks on him. He, he, he wasn't, you know, his, he didn't have the experience to be great, but he was he, he, did, he filled the role very well. And he looked like a million dollars. How can you look like that and, and, not, and not add something to the party? You know what I mean? NYLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. There's never been a better time to refinance than right now. With real estate being so hot, your house could be worth more than ever. SaveWithConrad.com can help you use that new equity to pay off your credit cards or get rid of your PMI, saving you thousands. Interest rates are still at historic lows, but experts expect the rates to rise next year. Let SaveWithConrad.com get you the best rate you've ever had and save thousands. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, and you won't make another payment until next year. Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. Take on removing Ollie from the Horsemen and breaking up that original chemistry. Bad idea. What was your take at the time? Well, I thought Ollie was fabulous, but he he had decided at this point in life he wanted to watch his son, uh, who was an amateur wrestler, and act. Uh, you know, kind of like I got to do when 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 Eric fired me. I just went home and played with Ashley and Reed, and I had more time off during those time, and I. Well, I you know, I, I had zero time off when I was NWA champion to spend with Megan and David. So I did, you know, he, he lived right there in Atlanta and uh, he wanted to spend more time at home. But Ole, re- replacing Ole is a big step. Ole had, Ole had a great interview. He was a good worker, solid, but he was believable. And Ole and Arn together were, were good. Not, 
not nearly as good as, as uh, Arn and Tully, but old style, uh, Ole was good. Well, Luker was in the Horseman for less than a year. Uh, was that the plan when he joined? I mean, you had to break him off and go babyface and do matches with you. But then the Horseman became a revolving door, which wasn't good. Well, no, we, we had Barry for a long time. That wasn't right away. We had Barry for a long time. So I think we had Barry for at least a year and a half, didn't we? Before Something like that, yeah. Door. Yeah. So started out with Arn or with Ole, then it went to Lex and then Barry. Barry is a great worker. Like, you know, we, we, we're talking about using the word great freely. Barry went in with a great worker. So to put him with the, with the rest of us, we were we were our all-time high as, as a heel combination. Never anything like it in the business, even close for four guys. Now you feuded with Luger in '88. In my modest expectation. Oh no, no, no! I I think that was the, I think that was the best version of the Horseman in terms of the actual working yeah. ability. I I do have affinity for the original version with Ollie because it was the original version. Yeah. And nothing in many cases, whether it's a musical group, a wrestling faction, rarely does anything top the original version. Exactly. Exactly. Now, uh, like I said, you feuded with Luger in 88. Those matches were good. Some of the finishes weren't, like that stoppage for blood at the Great American Bash. Uh, not a great finish, but I guess what else were you going to do? I don't know. That's um, I can remember they almost... They almost <laughs> The commissioner looked at me and said, if I find out you cut yourself tonight, you'll never wrestle in Maryland again. The old guy used to drive me crazy. I said, oh, I'm not doing anything like that. I said, I know how you are. You always get out there telling me I can do it and you start bleeding. I said, that's by accident. He said, bullshit. You're always cutting yourself. I see you. I'm watching. No dummy. I've been watching this for years. You know, <laughs> okay, okay. So when we did it, actually, it, I whacked myself so good that it, it was believable. And it was different. A lot of people didn't like it, but it was it was unique, and I was beat. You know what I mean? He had me beat. But they had the referee, which I hadn't seen. And Dusty came up with that, and you know, they stopped fights. Now UFC and in boxing for blood. And I was bleeding more than those guys were, so <laughs> I, probably, I, probably, I probably whacked myself two or three times. <laughs> How was Luger to work with behind the scenes in those days when you worked against him? Oh, easy. Easy, fun. He just would say, we just, he, I told him, I, I, you know, he and Sting, I never said anything to the guy. I said, guys, let me hear the crowd. You've got confidence in me. We'll, we'll tear it down. All I, would say, all I would say to those guys is, look, at, we got to follow Tully and Arn and Akita and Dusty and all, and, and whoever, the road warriors, we got to follow those guys. So look through the curtain every time you get a chance to look and look at what they're doing because we got to give them something better. We're on last. That's our, that's our job. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to the bar until the rink, until we make the crowd at a frenzy like these guys are and following the road warriors against the and Akita or uh, following the road warriors against Tully and Arn was brutal or God, or the mid, the midnight against the rock and roll. Come on. I mean, that, those, those cards were so hard. If you were on last and the guy was with me, they knew, number one, I was going to carry 14 blades and cut myself 14 times. And number two, the match was over until we got him standing the way we wanted him because I, 
I refused to go back to the dressing room second best. Not, not that I didn't a few times, but it wasn't um, wasn't because I wanted to. Just sometimes the matches were, before us were so damn good. A lot of talent, now, man. Now, you left for WWE in 1991, and Luger won the WCW title and was kind of a lame duck. That's That's not an ideal circumstance to win your first world title, is it? No, absolutely not. All, all Herd had to do was pay me. The money owed me. So it ain't worse than that. All he had to do was fly me to Columbus where I was going to drop it to Barry on TV. He, he said, screw you. It's documented. So I said, it's not screw me. It's, <laughs> you, screw you, Jimmy. I, now, was uh, go- I, I was gone, and three months later, he was fired. So, Or something like that, a year I thought it worked out great for you, Nate. Pretty good run in New York. Fantastic. I got to hang out with DiBiase, Piper, Hogan, the Nasty Boys, the Road Warriors, <laughs> um, Brett. I mean, and by the way, I, I I was looking at the comments last week about good guys who could sell real well. I did not mean to leave out Bret Hart. Bret Hart could sell his ass off. So for those that I upset with that comment, I got to throw Brett in there. He Brett could really sell. For for a big well for a well built bigger guy. So, well, as far as I'm concerned, we're here to upset people. So, mission. No, no, uh, no. But I mean, you know, I'm always when you ask me those questions I'm, on the fly, I can think of the first three. But I didn't mean to exclude uh, Brett because I, I always thought Brett was a really convincing seller. No, I have lots of regard for Brett and all the aspects of his work for sure. Now, Luger then went to WWE and got a big baby face push as a Hogan replacement. But WWE never gave him the title, never went all the way with them. Why do you think that was? you have any insight on that? I do not. I've never asked. But to take them all that, take them all that way and then not give them the title is what, is what killed them. Riding around in that bus all summer, the whatever it was called. The Lex Express. Yeah. And I thought for sure they were going to put the title on them. So I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I, I can venture to guess that it was somebody you know, pulling a political string here or there, but I don't I don't know the exact fact. Okay, then Luger showed up on the premiere of Nitro out of nowhere, the first Nitro ever at the Mall of America, Minneapolis. Had been at SummerSlam for WWE just eight days later, but had been working without a contract and let his no-compete expired. Were you surprised when that happened? Heck, even I was. Um, yeah, I guess I was. But I had heard that... Um, I, I, I'd heard, you know, because that you know, the grapevine runs. I'd heard somewhere along the line that his contract was up. I didn't, I did not know he'd be showing up there. But um, that, that's, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that because I. Well, Nate, the trick was that he he worked without a contract for the period of his no compete. Yeah. He was negotiating, but but you know the the no compete expired, so he could go from one program right to the other, which mm-hmm. was extremely rare in those days. And yeah. uh, it, it did make a big impact, but I, I thought he kind of spun his wheels during that run in, in WCW. He won the title again, feuded with the NWO, joined the NWO, but how much of it was really memorable? And I, I don't think that's on Lex, but again, not a lot stood out. Well, number one, nobody that was up against NWO stood out. That's true. Because that, that was the show. It was built around NWO. So... um I mean, uh, Sting always stood out, but, um, you know, it was, a, it was a new time, a new faction, and, and, and they ran with it, and they were successful with it. 
ultimately, um, I don't. I don't think that NWO. You know, if it, if the, here's my and I tell uh, Kevin this all the time. If they just stayed those three guys, they, they might still be there. Does that make sense? If it had but, just been those three guys, if it had been kept small and exclusive, uh, it would have had a much longer yeah, and better I, run. By the, by the end of the, by the end of two, like two years later, there were thirty guys in NWO. It was like if you think they deluded the horsemen, what the hell did they do to the NWO? I no, mean, it, I, was, it was Kevin, Scott, and Hulk, and that was it. After that, it was all I, I can't. I mean, I know what some of the people were. Then there was a red and a, and a white, but I mean. The NWO, you saw who got inducted in the Hall of Fame. And Waltman. I, I like, Waltman was great there. So, but after that, it was all diluted. Well, I thought that the turning point downward was when they started to bring in guys that weren't ex-WWE. The whole idea is that it was an invading army, even though that violated copyright and had me do depositions with effing Jerry McDevitt for eight hours at a time. But, but, you know, when they started bringing in, you know, I mean, no knock on Buff Bagwell and, and no knock on Paul White, but, but that wasn't the intent when they started the NWO. Exactly. So It's, uh, not, it's, that, it's not an indictment of anybody. It's just it's, it's things that happen, you know, and, and, and nobody knows. I, I suppose Kevin probably knows. I've never asked him. I'll see him this weekend. It's an interesting question. But um, I don't know why they kept adding on to it. Now, Lex but, nev- never went back to WWE. Do you think he burned a bridge when he showed up on that first Nitro and surprised uh, WWE? Probably. I would guess, yeah. Because they don't take stuff like that well, do they? Well, there's two ways to look at it. Either they were aware of it and didn't, and didn't care about signing them, or um, they were mad. And I've never heard. I've never asked. So, yeah. I mean, I, it, it goes back to the thing with Brett. Um, you know, I mean, I, they just couldn't afford to pay Brett the money that he was making. And that's how this whole Montreal screw job thing came about. I guess I, at the end of the day, it had to be about money. Um, at the end of the day, it always is. Yeah. So there again, I'm just on the outsider. I've heard 30 different stories. But if, if they're struggling with a payroll issue, I mean, to this day, the company will make me. You can see a guy gone tomorrow that's not not earning what they think he should be earning or is making more than they should be earning and, and not contributing enough. Same same applies to the women. Yeah, but now it's a little disingenuous because they do have those giant TV deals. That said, if a guy's not pulling his weight, that's the way the wrestling industry's already worked. Well, For- but that, it's not just the wrestling industry. It's, it's pro sports. We, we, we always throw it under the, under the umbrella of wrestling. If you're not making it as a lawyer, you don't become a partner. If you're not making it in football, they cut you. If you're not making it in basketball, they cut you. Or you go home in basketball with a with a toenail that's bothering you and take a month off making $40 million. Or you refuse to get vaccinated, you don't play at all. Then again, I don't, I'm not sure if Kyrie Irving is getting paid or not, but I imagine he is. Absolutely. Now, uh, finishing up with Lex. Lex was a big star. Could he have been a bigger star? Mm. I don't know the answer to that. In, w- in which company? Uh, either one, really. You see, I think Lex was awesome. I don't think he's remembered like you or Sting or Mach. 
I think he's just a slight level below, and that's no knock, but but that's where he is. Well, no, but that's that that's longevity. And we talked about that word last week. You don't become one of us if I if I'm allowed to be in that group in a 10-year period. And that's basically how long his career was, if I'm not mistaken. Well, now let's move on. Let's look at no, some of the. Am, am I right about that? No, 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 no. You're right. I, I think, I think when you from, stick from around, eighty nine to two thousand, something like that. No, no, eighty uh, like fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. He was around about fifteen, sixteen years. I think when you're around as long as guys like you and Sting and Randy and and Hunter, I think that's when you go from top performer to iconic. I think that's when you become part of the vocabulary. Yeah. When it comes to pro wrestling, I, I think that is a difference. Yes, a absolutely. Shawn Michaels, Undertaker. Yep. yep. Well, let's move ahead and look to some of today's wrestlers as we do every week. And one guy we've not yet talked about at length is Brian Danielson, former Daniel Bryan, now with AEW. Is he comparable to you as a worker? How do you see his work? Um, it's okay. I think wow, you just pissed a lot of people off because they think he's. They think he's everything in a bag of chips. Okay, is no, not the word I, they're I, looking for, Nate. I didn't say I didn't say he wasn't a good worker. I, I, I you asked me what I thought. I, I I'll tell you what. I thought um, this is what how I feel when Hunter put him over at whatever WrestleMania that was. That made him, and he's a very talented kid. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But you have to have one match, one place, one day, somewhere that makes you who you are. And remember Hunter, I don't know what WrestleMania that was, I think it was New York, where Hunter put him over. What number what number was that? I forget, Nate. I do not know. Yeah, and it, you know, Hunter, who only wrestles once in a while, came out and the match started out slow, but they ended up having a world class match. So yeah, no, he's a hell of a performer. Uh, I just like I don't I, I don't see him as being Kenny Omega. I like I like him. It's, it's just asking me my opinion. Oh no, no, I'm not, and I'm not asking you to say what you think. Uh, I think that he's a real good worker. I think he's at the top of the pile. But I, I got to be he, honest. He, is he a baby face now? No, he's a heel right now. Okay. Well, he's, I, yeah. Okay, as a baby face, he's not Ricky Steamboat. As a heel, he's not me. That's an accurate way of, of describing it, I think. And, I, and if, that piss, if, that, if that pisses people off, then they, they just got to live with history. Well, I can't disagree. In fact, I agree wholeheartedly. And, I, and I, it was WrestleMania 30, by the way, Nate. I was kind of looking it up. Uh, Triple H and Daniel yeah, Bryan. Uh, they, they tore the joint down, but that is the night that made Bryan. Or made uh, Bryan. Yep. I like him a lot personally, but when you start asking me to talk about who's great and who's not, I mean, he's got a, he's got a style. Um, he's not AJ Styles by any means. How much does his size hurt? It, it, well, I was going to say comparable size. He's, it, he's a little bit smaller than AJ, I think, but he's not AJ Styles. Well, what do you like about his work? What what do you like? What do you not like? What are pros and cons? I like his conditioning. I like his the fact that he works hard. He'll do anything. It looks like he sacrifices his body at all odds. I mean, he throws himself around, takes some incredible bumps. That stuff, that one bump he does off the top rope, he's done it a couple of times. Nothing less than incredible. Does that make sense? I, I don't know who he was working with, but it, 
He does that suplex where he lands on his stomach. <laughs> no, he's yeah, no, he's a hell of a hand. But you're asking me once again, and I'm I'm not going to budge on who I think is good and who's great. I think he's very good. I like him better as a heel, like now in AEW. I think he's got the condescending thing down pat. I think when he's a baby face, he doesn't have half as much personality. But then again, I guess that can be said no, but of, as a, of baby a lot of guys. Face, it's more believable, though. There's, there's another guy. He can sell his ass off. Somebody's making a comeback. It's, for me, it's more fun to watch a guy like him making a comeback against the bigger guys. That makes sense? Oh, no question. Yeah, it's, it's harder for me to believe that as a heel, he's going to hold down, hold someone down. Does that make sense? Especially if it's a bigger opponent. A, a, yeah, exactly. As a, as a, as a, as a baby face, who's just, uh, just average size, but really loaded with talent, I much prefer him to see fighting from underneath as a fan. What kind of match could you have had with him? Phenomenal. If, uh, but here's the bay face. I can't do half the shit he could do, but I can take the shit that he would give me. Does that make sense? I could have. A, perf a perfect description, which which moves on now to our next yeah, topic. No, it's kind of like Randy. I, I, could, I couldn't do a lot of fancy things like these again today, but I could take it. So, and sometimes taking it is just as impressive as giving it. Sometimes taking it's more important than giving it. Yeah, exactly. Now let's move on to a, a, a friend of yours and mine, a Pittsburgh native, recently retired, uh, Kurt Angle. Now, when you talk My about man. well, when you talk about great, that word 100% applies to Kurt Angle, doesn't it? Absolutely, G R E A T, Kurt Angle. Well, I think Kurt is one of the very few legitimately comparable to you as a worker, and I don't say that lightly. I think he's top five all time as a worker. I do too. I absolutely do. You, did you ever tell you about the time I took him down? No, but you're about to. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you don't think you could take him down? <laughs> Absolutely not. Hey, I, I grabbed Ronda Rousey one time by the arm and I said, low single. She said, try it, I'll kill you. <laughs> well, let me tell, can I tell a quick Kurt Angle story? <laughs> yeah. I covered Kurt Angle in high school. I was a writer then yeah. for the Post-Gazette, as you know, yeah. and here in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And, uh, he was a great high school football player in Mount Lebanon, a great wrestler, obviously, at Mount Lebanon, went on to Clarion and, of course, win the Olympic gold. So I was at a place called Tom's Diner, which is a late night. It's closed now, but it was a late night food spot in Pittsburgh after I was out. I was, like, in my 20s, and Kurt was a senior in Mount Lebanon. So we're leaving Tom's Diner, and I see uh, a couple guys getting a fight on the sidewalk. A bigger guy looked like a football player, is going after another slightly smaller guy. And the slightly smaller guy just takes him down on the sidewalk and stretches him. Yeah. And that's the first time I met Kurt Angle face yeah. to face. Yeah. I talked I'm... to him on the phone for stories. I went up, I go, hey, are you Kurt Angle? Yeah. And, and he goes, yeah. And he looks at me, couldn't figure out the I go, hey, I'm Mark Madden. I've talked to you for the Post-Gazette. Yeah. And he like kind of kind of does double take it. I go, don't worry, this won't end up in the paper. Well, listen, I'm pissed off at Kurt, as he knows, for one reason. Why? When he's Hall of Fame induction, I'm the reason they went to the WWE. I ran into him in a gym in Gold in Memphis, Tennessee. And I was at WCW and he was get, getting ready to decide who he was going to call and go to work for. And so I go, he said, you know, Mr. Flair, I said, it's not Mr. Flair, it's Mr. Angle, but thank you. I said, he said, I'm considering WWE or WCW. I said, consider no longer. 
I'll call Vince McMahon for you right now. And I did. <laughs> the rest of history. They, he would have died. It, uh, they would have eaten that kid alive at WCW. I don't mean physically eat him alive, but the, the politics that would have been stacked on top of him, a gold medal winner who's tough, <laughs> that would have been everything that WCW would be barking at. Let me, let me jump right to the chase, Nate. Hulk Hogan could not have beaten him fast enough. No, not Hulk Hogan. Just I, I, I'm not going to put that on Hulk. I Listen, Hulk wasn't running the company. I got news for you. There was a lot of people that were running the company. A lot of voices. Hulk gets too much heat for it. The one thing I can tell you that I wasn't running the company. It's like when I was a booker that made all these bad decisions. I was on a booking committee. But the only name on the committee that meant anything was mine. Does that make any sense? And that's not taken away from anybody. But me and Kevin Sullivan, who to this day I say is a genius, could talk all day long. And Eric Watkins say we're doing this. So why are we wasting our time? You know what I mean? It's just it, it's it's they did what they wanted to do. Well, so getting just, back, just a scapegoat. The, the bookie committee is just a scapegoat. Well, getting back to Kurt, uh, Kurt took to wrestling like a duck to water. He, yes, I, I I can never say he was green. Not even for a second. He was a natural. And before you knew it, he was calling matches in the ring. Uh, I mean, uh, what? I mean, a lot of guys get into it with an amateur background, albeit not as impressive as Kurtz with the gold medal. But what made him so good so fast? Well, you know, you know who I compare him to? And I, he compares himself to her too, is Ashley. Some people catch on really quick. Of course, he, Ashley, Ashley didn't have an amateur background, but. And let me tell you about Ashley. That's just a side note. Reed was a 14-time state champion in North Carolina and a four-time national champion, the Tulsa Nationals, AU Nationals. I took him to every tough term in the country. Ashley could beat Reed until he was 16 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they went to war. Ashley was so strong and so physically gifted that he, he couldn't compete with her athleticism. I mean, and of course, she wanted, you know, I had fun. All the all reach friends loved Ashley and all that. But but Kurt just, I mean, the only guy I've ever seen, and he never never ultimately was the athlete that Kurt is, but these amateurs that come along, he, I mean, he, he's better than Jack Briscoe. And nobody was tougher than Jack, 31 and 0, his junior year with 31 pins in Oklahoma. I don't think that's ever been duplicated. Um, but Kurt just took to it, and then he added that air, uh, aerial game. And, I mean, he's just an incredible athlete, a as is Brock. I mean, I'm watching Brock on TV, really enjoying his new stuff now. I like him without Heyman. It's different, and I like Heyman with Reigns. I think that's yeah. uh, that's shaping up for, yeah, but, for but something there Kurt, Kurt moving forward. Guys, Kurt was so diversified that he could have this phenomenal technically uh, – Phenomenal technical match with with uh, with uh, Sean or these great matches with Taker and even at my age he gave me some some good matches you know I don't know if anybody ever believed him but I I, I was so confident in him I took every bump he could give me because I knew I was going to land the right way with him you know, there was never any doubt well you had a, a pretty good match with him I just watched on YouTube. In 2005, do you have any recollection of that one in yeah, particular? I, land, I, I, I landed in L.A. and Pat Patterson said, you're going to wrestle Kurt Angle. And I said, why? 
He said, because uh, Vince wants you to. I said, for how long? He said, 20 minutes. I said, 20 minutes, me and Kurt Angle? You got to be kidding me. Kurt was so mad at me because I wouldn't let him lead. <laughs> We're going to my pace, Kurt, tonight. Sorry, brother. And every time you try to stretch me, I'm going to hang on to the rope. <laughs> but, but, but it was a good match. It was okay. Considering I was 56 years old. <laughs> oh, I think it was better than okay. And I think that says a lot about you at 56, but says a lot about Kurt as well. Well, Kurt, yeah, he made me. I mean, let me, I just said, Kurt, we're going out to the floor. He said, for what? I said, give me that belly to belly on the floor. He said, why? I said, so I can catch my breath. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I can't just take you down and hold you and recoup here, kid. <laughs> Now, WWE had Kurt do comedy a lot of the time. Yeah. Was that, that good or bad? Uh, he's an Olympic gold medalist, and I think he's a pretty funny guy, and some of his promos were well, laugh out loud funny, but... But he made it work. That's what makes you great. You use that word great, it's being able to survive any scenario that puts you into it and make it work. And did I like it? No, but it worked, and it was humorous. And the stuff with him and Austin was fabulous. You know what I mean? Oh, no, but, no. He but, but, but when you talk, talk about great, I mean, Kurt was tight. His punches, his kicks, he never looked like he was out of control. You know what I mean? You have to remember, you get five or eight guys in the ring, the camera's always on you. So you can't be hitting a guy like this. An you know what I mean? You've got to think that the camera's right on you every time you punch somebody. And Kurt is never looking awkward. He's throwing in a good punch. He's throwing a good kick. He stays tight. He stays close. He keeps it physical. Yet you can't feel him. I mean, he's like this. I tied up with him. I said, holy shit. The, the kid ties up like Steamboat. I mean, he's, he's that good. Now, uh, Kurt wrestled his whole career with a broken neck, which he sustained actually even before uh, winning the gold at the Olympics. Uh, that caused him some problems in later life. Uh, I mean, he had a great career. But, boy, to take that kind of risk, I mean... You know, I, I, I'm not saying he did the wrong thing, but it's, I'm glad he got through it as well as he did. I feel the exact same way. But make no mistake, and I will say this, and I'll say no more. I cracked C5 and 6 in my neck in 1988, right before I wrestled Steamboat in the three matches. Dusty gave me a DDT, and it leaned on the side of my head. And that neck pain, I never had surgery. But that neck pain might have been the worst thing I've ever felt, including the, the abdominal stuff I went through four years ago. That pain in my neck, and every night I had to go to the ring, fortunately with Arn and Tully and Barry, and I would just get in the ring and like chop somebody, even though I couldn't swing my, my neck at all. But in three months it healed, and I, I luck as hell, but that neck pain, boy, I can only imagine what he went through, and, and you know, I can only read, which would account for you know some of the issues that that slowed him down, but he's come back from that. Kurt Angle is a man and a half, and a, got a great guy. Beautiful no, family. One of my favorite people, his wife Giovanna, is awesome. Yeah, yeah. The kids, I mean, I, 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 I just love the Angles, and they're, they're Pittsburgh people, they're lifers. They still live, uh, Kurt still lives here, so they all still live here. But Kurt's a Pittsburgh lifer, which I, I really respect. <clears throat> now, we got a couple other people we'll get to next week because we're, we're just uh, buzzing along here with a lot of material. But I want to get to some uh, some tweets. We get tweets, Nate. People want to ask questions. Most of them are really stupid because, well, that's what Twitter's all about. But let me let me get the one from Frank that uh, 
I'm curious to hear your, your, your answer here, but if you were in the JJ role today, who would be your choices to be in the four horsemen? Now that's a, a pretty lengthy list, I'm sure, but do any pop to mind? Oh, I've heard that question before. It changes every day. I mean, that would, it, it would be Roman Reigns. It would be Randy Orton. It would be AJ Styles. And um, trying to think well. Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, AJ Styles. You need somebody to do the job, Nate. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, that's just it. They beat AJ every week. Doesn't make a difference. It's so damn good. Um, well, it's. Um, Trying to think on the roster. Oh, Dolph Ziggler. Dolph. Now I got the sun shining through on me, Nate. I look like an avenging angel. Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler. There you go. So that so a what, stu- build, build a studio like I got. Next week, next week when you open the door, I'm gonna have all my memorabilia, all my Ric Flair drip shit, all my Shambaya with Bad Bunny, all my athletic awards, but my Heisman Trophy, all my shit. Your Heisman Trophy. They should have given that to Kenny Pickett from Pitt this week, for God's sakes. Oh, what, for faking the slide? Ha. Oh, no, no, no. I, I abused him Come for on. that. Come on. So we got Roman that, Reigns, that, Randy that, Orton. That cost him, though. That cost him the Heisman Trophy. No, it didn't. <laughs> AJ fake. Styles and Dolph Ziggler. There you go. There you go. That'd be a rough crew to handle, both in the ring and socially. <laughs> Let's go to Brandon, and while you answer the question, I'm going to fix my blind so I don't look ridiculous. You, you, you know, you know, I, I would love to build a studio, but I just, I'm not Ric Flair. I don't live that way. Oh, yeah, okay. You've got, you got where you go. You're going to die with that money. Brandon tweets, die. yes, I intend to die with all that money. Brandon <laughs> tweets, Rick, who would you say is the most underrated performer today? Yeah, you know, you know it's funny. You know who I like a lot? I can't think of his name. Who's the guy that plays the guitar now? Oh, uh, Elias. No, no, Elias. The other guy on SmackDown. R- Rick Boogs. Well, oh, the fact that I didn't remember his name doesn't speak well. No, no, but he's only been out there a few times, but the little bit I've seen him in the ring, he looks very impressive. Here's one from Gary. He wants you to tell the story about when Gene Anderson broke the cane over your nose. Hurt. <laughs> What it was that, hurt. Valentine and Flair versus uh, Sheik and Snuka, correct? Yes. Now, what what happened there? I'm not, I, I don't remember that, to tell you the truth. Well, Gene was a stiff prick anyway, and a mean bastard. Um, so we just, in the, in the old days, we just, we didn't think about, you know, gimmicking things, if that's the word. So Gene just, that was the angle. I just, I got ready, said, I'm going to hit you over the face, I'm going to hit you in the face with the cane. I said, I knew it was coming. Let her my hand up. So, of course, he broke my nose and opened me up like 30 stitches. 30 stitches? Yeah. And, and, and what, what were the repercussions afterwards? What did you say? What was said to him? I said, ouch. And you miserable. <laughs> I don't, there was no beating up Gene Anderson for me. Sorry. <laughs> that wasn't okay. going to happen either. <laughs> Here's one from Rob. Rob, I don't know, uh, with, I, I think I got 30 stitches of that. I can't remember exactly, but I, I know he broke my nose. Nate, Rob wants to know, and this is a good question. What's your favorite bottle of wine after 5 p.m., of course? King's Estate Pinot Noir. Now, are you a xenophile? Are you like a fancy schmancy wine guy? I, I'm, or? A, I'm an Oregon. It's got to be light. I drink it on ice. One glass of wine, 
eight ounces of water. One glass of wine, eight ounces of water. 20 glasses of wine, 28 ounce containers of water. Wow. Then, then, then it's a white, I bring home food from the restaurant I'm at, watch Sports Center, check the ratings on our podcast, and say night night. <laughs> and finally, here's one more. I think we have <laughs> one more tweet. No, or, um, face, or FaceTime with Wondrous Wendy. <laughs> well, uh, uh, J.A. tweets, what is the favorite promo you've ever cut? And boy, that's a hell of a question. I, I have my ideas, but what is your favorite promo ever? That I'm a limousine riding, jet flying, kids stealing, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing. Hell yeah. Love the women all night long and having a hard time. Woo, holy God, I get it done. Combination yeah. of all those. Well, I spent more money on spilt liquor last year, candy, than from one end of this earth to the other that you made. Woo! Well, I, I like the classic alligators promo, yeah. and I also like the uh, golden spoon promo. Do you remember that one? Yep. That was extremely good. More with a golden spoon. Well, I got to be honest. I mean, living I, in the biggest house on the biggest side of town. I got to be honest, like your promos back then that you just did off the cuff with a couple bullet points in mind, nothing beats those. And I know they script them now and they scripted a lot of yours, but but I just thought the ad lib no, type stuff. Script, nobody scripted mine until I got the WWE. That's what I mean. That's, that's what I mean. Sec, the second time, yeah. Oh, not the first. Oh, that's right. The first time it was different. Yeah. Now, there's a couple other uh, loose news items I want to talk about. but not scripted. <laughs> well, yeah, very closely scrutinized, I think. There's a couple other items I want to go over, but there, there's one I, I, I'm not even sure you're aware of, but the big, the big fuss in AEW was Taz's kid debuted Friday night, Hook. He'd been on mm -hmm. TV, like, forever, never wrestled, but he finally debuted. He beat uh, Fuego Del Sol, who's an enhancement guy, but a very good enhancement guy, and he had this kind of, like, MMA-style work in an MMA style entry. I don't know if you saw it or the I reaction did. to it, but what have been some of the biggest debuts you've ever witnessed? The, the, the biggest and best debuts that you've seen in wrestling? Well, recently, I mean, the one that really stands out to me is when AJ showed up. Is it five years ago now? Right. Uh, out of nowhere. And I, I'd always hoped he'd come here, but I guess he'd gone from TNA to ring of honor or Japan, but, when AJ Styles walked out on Raw or SmackDown, whatever night it was, I thought, I mean, he was over with, everybody knew who he was. And he's been over ever since. Um, other debuts, um, I don't know. I really liked when Jericho walked out on Raw, but then again, everybody knew it was coming. Uh, when was that? Boy, uh, I forget what year it was. It, it must have been 98, maybe? Oh, when he, when he came from um, WCW? When came from WCW, right. And oh, yeah. He cut the promo, interrupted The Rock's promo. Oh, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris has always been well received, you know, and a good promo guy, too. Um, none others come to mind. Um, what, what about when the Nature Boy walked out on, uh, on that Tuesday Night Titans with the belt? That was a pretty big deal. Yeah, also, because of where it was, um, when I walked out after being off TV for a year to become part owner of the company, we were in Charlotte that night. 
and that was that was pretty cool for myself, you know. Jericho debuted in '99, I think. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. No, I was just gonna say a big night for me would have been when I first came back in WWE in 2001. Um, when I walked out the door, we we were in, the, in Charlotte, and Vince gave me 48 hours to make up my mind if I wanted to come back to work or not. So you know how that goes. I don't want to talk to a lawyer. Don't have your agent call me. This is you and me talking. <laughs> you got till Monday. I'll have a contract in the building. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a lot of fuss now because some some key guys, some guys who are perceived, I should say, to be key guys in wrestling or free agents, uh, leaving NXT, Johnny Gargano and Kyle O'Reilly. I mean, what what's your level of familiarity like with them, Nate? And, and what should be the determining factor in a wrestler's free agency? I know guys that took less money to go to AEW rather than stay in WWE. And I get it, but I don't get it. So where do you weigh it? Well, I don't know enough. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I've met Gargano, uh, but just know him and say hi. I don't know the other fellow at all. But um, when you leave the WWE, you're taking a big step. Because I, I don't see where they fit in for, with, uh, when they're leaving NXT. As a result, I imagine a frustration of not being brought up to uh, to um, the, the main roster. I, I guess that would be the reason they were leaving. Um, you know, eventually Tony is not going to be hiring everybody. So I don't oh, know. I, I disagree. I think he'll be hiring everybody in perpetuity. And I think it's going to cause him some problems sooner or later. You think you'll hire him right away? I don't know if he'll hire them, but he's going to keep hiring guys. That That's their booking. Their booking is, yeah. is new matches and surprise debuts, but they already have 15 pounds of sugar for a 10-pound bag, and it's going to drive some people to New York. There's no question about that in my mind. Yeah, drive some people, but who's Vince going to take from there? I don't know, but he'll take somebody just for the take of taking somebody, at least initially. Yeah. But, but, Nate, they're talking about bringing the Briscoes in, from Ring of Honor, now that Ring of Honor's done, they had a confrontation at Ring of Honor's final battle pay-per-view. It was FTR showed up and confronted the Briscoes, and they brawled. But Santana and Ortiz are awesome, and they almost never wrestle on TV. Sean Spears, the former Ty Dillinger, never wrestles on TV. Uh, Lance Archer, Brian Cage. There are some guys they already have who are great talents that are never on TV anymore. Yeah, I don't have the answer, Mark. I wish I did. Well, what I would be? Show, I watch the shows because I want to be able to talk about it intelligently with you, but I don't have the answer to those questions. Oh, Nate, I have no desire to talk intelligently, so don't back yourself into a corner like that. <laughs> no, but I meant I don't. I, I've just, I, I thought Brian Cage was going to be a big part of the program, and I, you're right. I very rarely see him. There you go. So he got well, that big, big push for a while, and I just saw him for the first time. I think there was eight guys in the ring the other night. Some well, kind of a. Some kind of a tag match, but you know he was being featured in the single for a while, and then I, I don't know why he didn't uh, didn't end up. Yeah, well, I mean, if if I were if I were if I were Gargano and O'Reilly, I'd stay in WWE, and maybe they yet will, because here's how I look at it, Nate. And I'm being very honest. I look at I look at NXT two hours of TV time, SmackDown two hours of TV time, uh, Raw three hours of TV time. That's eight hours of TV time total. Uh, AEW has three hours of TV time total because those YouTube shows don't count. I would take my chances if I trusted my talent with the eight hours of TV time. 
Yeah, but there again, it, I don't think Vince is passing out money right now. Unless, unless you're a really successful proven talent and have done something spectacular on Tony's show or otherwise, I wouldn't advise either company to hire somebody. No, no question. Now, I'm just saying all things being it, equal. It's, 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 yeah, it, it, all things being equal, you're right. But I don't, I think that, uh, I just think right now the development, the, the, one of the problems is that the developmental program for both men and women isn't developing enough people. And how long can you keep paying all these kids to train the wrestling? That makes sense. No, no question. And I, I, I don't blame Vince at all for releasing the guys he's released from NXT because to quote Judge Smales from Caddyshack, the world needs ditch diggers too. Not yeah. everybody's going to be good enough to be on big time TV. Exactly. And sometimes you have to find another profession. I know I did. Yeah. So well, it, 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 it's, it's, it's sports and it's life. There's not always going to be a perfect spot for you to land. And that no can question. be in business, sports, management. Whatever. It's only a few of us, and I'm I'm thankfully one of them that found my niche and got to be part of it and still love it 50 years later. Now, Nate, before we wrap this up, because again, what a great show, and I keep moving my head behind the microphone. I just want to point out, like I did before the show, I'm wearing merchandise today from the greatest sports team in the world, Liverpool Football Club. 19-time wow. champions of England, six-time champions of Europe. You can take your Michigan, you can take your Tampa Bay Bucks. There's only one Liverpool football club. Really? Yes. Well, next week I'll have my Buccaneer or Packers stuff on. Yeah, depending or, on who wins, right? Or, or, my, or my Michigan stuff. Depending on who wins, right? Well, I just have an assortment of favorites. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually a very diplomatic way to hey, put it. Hey, by the way, the Penguins beat the Capitals. I watched. And then beat the Anaheim Ducks the next night, Nate. The Penguins on a roll. Crosby's back, seven assists. I track it. I track it for you. Well, tell maybe. Him to, tell him to get rid of his girlfriend. When he's single, he plays better. You know what I wanted to do, don't you? What? I wanted to fix him up with Ashley back when. <laughs> they would, no, I'm serious. I mean, it's always one of them's had a girlfriend or a boyfriend at the time. Yeah, but it would have been very hard for him to be the second best athlete in the family. I think he would have been very accepting. <laughs> I think he would have taken a few years off his career, but, you know, hey, live Woo! and learn. Nate's great stuff as always. We'll do it again hey, next week. Hey, it's tough to be a flair. <laughs> so I hear. That's red, Rick Flair. Red, whiskey for me and water for my horse. Woo! Woo! That's Rick Flair. I'm Mark Madden. Five Thank o'clock you. somewhere, sometime. Thank you for checking out Woo Nation Uncensored. Woo!